Before the sermon plays, I want to take a minute and tell you about a free resource that I'm really excited about. At Creekside, it is our goal to experience and express God's glory. One of the ways that we aim to do this is through personal sanctification, which is a fancy way of saying growing in our relationships with God. It's clear that this can be especially difficult during the Christmas season because it's so busy. And so this year, we produced a devotional booklet that is a companion to the series of sermons we're doing, one of those sermons you're about to listen to. The booklet is filled with 150 to 200 word writings that hopefully will help you to think about the birth of Jesus and the glory of God. And you can get one of those devotional booklets for free. You can get a hard copy by coming to one of our services in the month of December. But if that's not something you're able to do or ready to do, you can get an electronic version by going to wilsonville.church slash Gloria Booklet. That's wilsonville.church slash Gloria Booklet. I do think those will be a great resource for you, and I hope that you will get one. And now I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. We, we're all about the glory of God at this church, and, uh, and I have some things in my notes that uh, today for this sermon, it's interesting uh, that, that I was like, have, have I said that? Because I've been preaching on the glory of God so much recently that I was like, wait, did I already say that in a sermon at church, or did I communicate that somewhere else, or what is that? And, and we're all about the glory of God, but at the Christmas season, during the Christmas season, I think this is true. It's maybe harder to glorify God uh, than at any other time of year. And perhaps there is no greater story, at least of the Christian faith, that we struggle to connect to a response to actually caring, to being excited, to glorifying God than the Christmas story because it's, it's so famous. And uh, to illustrate, you know, both of those things, just first, like, like picture like you wake up and, and it's a Saturday and you want to glorify God and you're like, man, it's the Christmas season, I'm going to glorify God. But you're trying to get to Washington Square and you get to 217 and then you're like, glorify God. If these people would get off the road, then God would be glorified, right? And I mean, just the traffic and the busyness and the, just everything, it just, it just takes away. And, and, and sometimes it can even cause us to be... Uh, more depressed and more stressed and uh, more annoyed at the simple little things of life because it's not going the way that we thought the holidays should go. And then, and then there's this other piece, this just the familiarity of of the Christmas story. And I was uh, I was thinking about it in these terms. Like, have you ever met somebody not from Oregon, and they say, like, Yeah, we're taking a trip to Oregon to go to the coast. And, and if you're native Oregonian like me, you're born and raised here, you're like, what? Who does that? Like, I hardly ever make the drive. I like the coast, but I hardly ever make the drive over the mountain, let alone coming from Kansas, you know? I mean, like, that's crazy. And, and I've, I know this about myself. Because I live here in, in the greatest place on earth, I can really take for granted the things that are all around me, like, oh, the coast is there. I could go look at it, you know, or, oh, wow, I could go up to Mount Hood right now. All I really think is like, eh, there's snow if I go that way, and 
eh, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of people at the beach. That's, you know, like that's, that's kind of my attitude. And other people come from, you know, far. And it's like, wow, your coastline is so beautiful and so windy. That's the, what the people say when that happens. It's so cold there. It's like, I know. Um, my brother and I, a brother-in-law and I uh, were at the coast last year, I think, and uh, we were trying to order fudge and something else at one of those little stands, you know, and and for whatever reason, it was taking forever, and so we ended up just having some small talk with the girl and uh, that was working there, and I think she might ask where we were from, and and we said, like, if you lived here your whole life, is that crazy, and, um, and we're on vacation, and, and I don't know how this came up, but we're like, we're from Wilsonville, and she said, oh, my family takes a vacation to Wilsonville every year. <laughs> like, huh, that's, what do you do in Wilsonville, <laughs> you know? Like, fries is cool, I mean, um, and she said, well, first of all, my, gra- my grandparents are near there, it's an easy place to stay, but also, and this is what, and, and if, you're, if you have my in-laws, then this is even a crazier thought. She's like, yeah, and the fun center's there, and we really like to go there. <laughs> People travel more than, I don't know, how far away do I live? One minute to go to the fun center? Like, that's a thing? And I'm always blown away that people pay money at the fun center because I've never done that, you know? Like, who who pays for mini golf when it's free, you know? Um, well, it's not, but yeah, like, this, this blew my mind, and, and this can be us with the Christmas story. I, I think back, in fact, to uh, when I was a kid. I think the only time I had been to the Family Fun Center, Bullwinkles, to those of you who aren't from Wilsonville, uh, the, the Family Fun Center, the only time I had been here, I was like 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere in that age range. We came up with a, with a, a baseball team, and the parents paid for us to come up here, and it was super exciting. And now I think about the Fun Center, and I mean, we had our young adult group there for years. Like, I, I helped plan the menu there. The gluten-free menu is partly my doing, so if you like the gluten-free menu or don't, I'm sorry, or you're welcome, or whatever. I mean, I've been there so many times and, and done everything so many times that it has no effect on me anymore, except to think it's, it's kind of loud in here. The ice cream's still pretty good. And that's Christmas, Right? I mean, maybe when we were seven, eight, nine, and ten, we, we thought about this birth of Jesus and some of the stuff in the songs that we just sang, like angels crying out and, and shepherds being told and all of this, this kind of grand, glorious stuff. And, and maybe at like seven, eight, nine, ten, when we were first understanding, it was like, wow, that's really, that's really cool. That's crazy. Are you telling me we really believe that? Uh, is this different than Santa Claus? Is this similar? I mean, uh, is this a real thing? Like, what are we doing with this, you know? But now, it's like Christmas. There's this uh, apparently famous story, and I'm going to butcher this completely because I, I heard a little uh, Christmas sermonette the other night at a, at a function that we were at, and uh, and I w- wasn't taking notes. I was partly holding a baby. And, uh, and anyway, he told of this story that was familiar to me. I think we read it when I was a kid, but I didn't catch the name of it, and I didn't write down details, and I couldn't find it when I Googled it. So this is about to be butchered. But it, it's a story about a church that's putting on 
uh, a nativity. They're going to do a, a nativity with the kids, and one of them will be angels, and one of them, some of them will be shepherds, and one of them will be Mary and Joseph. You know how churches used to do that. And they're, they're going to put this on, but there's this rough group of kids all from one giant family in town. Is this ringing a bell to anybody? Yell out the name if you know it. Nobody? Okay, go ahead if you want to. Yell out the name. But there's this rough and tumble group of kids in town. And they're not churchgoers at all, but one of the siblings hears that there's cookies and juice at Sunday school. And so they're like, hey, we should go to Sunday school. Cookies and juice. What, what could be wrong with this? And so they show up on the day they're picking the parts for the nativity that the church is going to put on with these kids. And, and long story short, these kids get caught up in it, but they don't know the Christmas story at all. And, and the narrator of the story, not being one of those kids says they knew nothing and we had to go to the very beginning but for the rest of us we just wanted to or just needed to be told where to stand and I think that's us at Christmas right like I know the story just tell me where to stand Bryn where do we have to be that's kind of my attitude like what house are we going to tonight which is pretty much all December for us like where are we going to be this evening just tell me where to stand and let's let's and I like Christmas but let's just tell me where to stand and, and we'll get through the holidays just fine but the thing is, and I really mean this, and, and, and just maybe because I, I'm, I'm studying it and I'm thinking about it, uh, but the, the Christmas story is incredible. It's an incredible story. And, and not just like Jesus was born, but just the fact that Jesus became a man is, is incredible. And what we're going to see is it's, it's quite glorious. And in that song we sang, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, I mean, that means glory to God. It's going to be in our story, glory in the highest or the highest heavens. And, 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 and our response to the Christmas story should not be to say, where should I stand? It should be to say, how can I glorify God? How can I express His glory? And so today, I just, I just want to begin uh, with the story of the shepherds and uh, looked at this story before as a church, and that's true of every part of the Christmas story. But today, I want to focus in on the glory of God, and that's what we're going to do over the next four sermons. We're going to talk about the glory of God, and, and we're going to see it in the coming of Jesus, and I, I really hope, I do, uh, that, it, that, that it's going to cause you to glorify God, and, and we'll talk about even what that means later but uh luke 2 8 and 9 very famously says and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the lord appeared to them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified that's really interesting to me the glory of the lord shines around them and it's really interesting because it, I, I, I don't know that I've ever really paid attention to that line in this story. And we read this story at least once every Christmas and, and probably a couple times, like as a family, not even just on our own. And, and yet, like a key component of it, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God, I don't know if I've ever thought about that before. But before we look at it, uh, let's, let's talk about this, uh, the shepherds. This is an interesting group of of guys that that are out there hanging out in the wilderness somewhere uh, outside of Jerusalem because 
Uh, because there's some de- debate about who the shepherds were, not like their names, these specific guys, but like how society saw shepherds. And, and the debate is kind of this. Were shepherds just nobodies, or, these are my words, or were shepherds really a group of people who were looked down upon? And, and some commentators would say, some guys that write about the Bible would say, these were like some of the lowest people in society, because they were dirty. And not only were they dirty in a physical sense, but more importantly, they were dirty in a religious sense. They were religiously impure based on the very nature of what they did. I mean, just being in sheep and dealing with the poop and all of that stuff, they would have had to cleanse themselves in a physical and ritual way in order to like go into God's temple. And it would have made other people ritually unclean. And they would have had to go through this process just by like shaking their hands. And so they're kind of filthy. But no matter how you see it, whether they're just kind of nobodies or whether they're like low buddies, that's not a real word, it just popped into my head. Things come into my head that should never come into my head. Whether they're nobodies or low buddies, thank you, some of you thought it was funny, me too. The message is quite clear. The first announcement of the birth of Jesus goes to people that you never would have thought. It does not go to the religious. It does not go to the high of society. It doesn't go to those who are royalty or cool or awesome or political leaders, all that stuff. It goes to this group of people that that, that others weren't even thinking about. And if they were, they were thinking about how dirty they were. It's really interesting because... Because it tells us something that just stays true for the entirety of Jesus' life. Jesus doesn't just care about those who seem to have it all together or who seem to fit in in society or who seem to have it all together. Jesus cares about those people and also, and and perhaps more emphatically, he cares about the lowly of society, the people who don't have it put together, the people that are social outcasts. And I know, I know that our church often is attractive to people who feel just that about themselves. Uh, our church has been a place for years, really, uh, that, that, that people come to that don't quite fit in. And they feel okay here, and I'm proud of that. But if you're one of those people who feel that way, I want you to know that the Christmas story says something rather profound. It says, hey, Jesus came to earth for you. And you go, well, obviously he came for everybody. No, but like for people like you that feel like you, that, that hurt like you, that, that don't fit in like you, that have been kicked to the curb like you, that other people look down upon like you. The Christmas story says something. It says that that Jesus came for those who are low in society. I love that. I love that. And and, and there's this metaphor that that Jesus' uh, cousin is given when he prophesies about his own son, John the Baptist, and and he, and he says that a, a light has dawned on the people living in darkness. And, and here these shepherds are out in, in the dark. I think probably both spiritually and physically. 
And then all of a sudden, like the prophecies already come true, even though it has a much deeper and longer meaning than this, but, but it's like it already comes true. Because there in the sky, as the shepherds sit in the dark, God's glory shines on those who are in darkness. And now I want to talk about glory. At our church, the mission, the goal, the reason that we exist is to experience and express the glory of God. And we've been hitting on the glory of God and, and we've brought up the glory of God. But it's, it's just really important that we, all, that we all grasp what the glory of God is if we're actually going to experience and express it, right? And this isn't just an our church thing. Uh, the reason that our church has come to the conclusion that we should exist to experience and express the glory of God is because we look at, at what the Bible declares and, and we look at what is happening in our society, even within churches in our society, and it seems like God has taken a back seat to us. And we don't want to be a church filled with people who are inward focused. We want to be a church full of people who are outward focused. And by outward, I don't just mean others. I mean God. We exist for you, God. Our church exists for you, God. And, and it's really all because of this word glory that's, that's just at the heartbeat of the entire Bible. And this word glory is, is a word that is in some ways difficult to to define it's a word that i think i've said before here uh, that is easier to see than to explain similar to the word beauty right like define beauty like oh how do i do that and then you go oh well like a sunset you're like oh okay i get that right like Zion National Park, if you've ever been there. It's like the most beautiful place I've ever been. Like, oh, I get, I get what beauty is now. And, and glory is, is similar to that. Glory, this is a quote, glory is one of those words, words which we use in our common language with great latitude and laziness of meaning. And we sometimes carry our vagueness into the interpretation of Scripture when scripture has a precise and definite meaning, if we will only take pains to ascertain it. Glory is one of those words, right? Like, uh, I want glory. Or, or, wow, that dress is glorious. And it's like, what, what do we mean by that, you know? I mean, this, these are just words that we just kind of throw around and we don't really think about it. But the Bible is saying something important and weighty about God when it talks about his glory. In the Old Testament, the word glory is a word that means weight. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word doxa, which denotes the recognition anyone finds or which belongs to him. And so you can put those two together and we at least kind of have some basis of, of this idea of glory. It's, it's giving proper weight or proper recognition to someone or something. In God's case, this is a much bigger deal than in our case, right? Because God is something greater. The theological word book of the Old Testament says this of God's glory, the unchanging beauty of the manifest God. W.E. Vine says glory is used of the nature and acts of God in self-manifestation, what he essentially is and does as exhibited 
in whatever way he reveals himself in these respects. Let me give you a simpler definition than all of that. And I think I took this from Matt Chandler, but I couldn't be sure at this point. Glory, God's glory, is everything that makes him different than humanity. It's everything that makes him not just different, let me rephrase. It's everything that makes him better and greater and more awesome than you and I, than people, than humankind. And we see this in the Bible in in a variety of ways, really. And the first way that we see this is, is in creation. The Bible says that creation reveals the glory of God. And when we look around at things like sunsets or uh, beautiful national parks, it's not difficult to see that the one who created them must be incredible. If you've ever heard uh, an amazing piece of art, or music, or, or seen an amazing piece of art, You just go, wow, the person who did this is special, right? Isn't that the natural response to say, the person who did this is special? When you read an incredible book, you say, wow, that was an incredible story. But you also think, wow, that was an incredible author. And when we look at creation, the beauty of it all, it shows us that God is is better, than, than we are. We also see it in this other way. And this is the first time, I think, really when glory comes up in the Bible is in Exodus 33. There's a, a, a fairly famous story, not famous like the Christmas story, but, but a, a fairly famous story in the Bible. And, and there's this guy named Moses, and Moses has led the Israelite people out of Egypt where they were enslaved and and persecuted and he's led them out of there by the power of God and now he's their leader. And God is like, you're their leader. And Moses doesn't really like being a leader. And he he looks at God and he's kind of complaining. He says, God, how am I going to lead these people if I don't know you better? It's a pretty good request by Moses, right? This is a request that all of us should have. How am I going to do my job if I don't know you better, God? And how am I going to be a good father if I don't know you better, God? And how am I going to be a good spouse or a good friend if I don't know you better, God? And Moses says this to God, and God's like, hey, what's your request? And Moses says, show me your glory. And God will eventually say, Here's the deal, Moses. I can't show you my full glory because if I do, you'll die. But the first part of what he says is far less famous. The first part of God's response is is far less famous, but it's a really interesting picture of a part of God's glory that we don't think about. God says, okay, Moses, your request is good. You'll die if I show you myself, if I look at you face to face. But the first part is this. He says, I will show you my goodness and proclaim to you my name. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my goodness. And here's a part of God's glory that we don't think about very often. One of the things that makes God uniquely better than you and I is that he is perfectly good. Think about some of the great things that you would like to be known for as far as 
attributes of morality like loving. God is all loving or faithfulness. God is perfectly faithful. We don't consider that part of God's glory because it's not as easy to see as the next part of God's glory that we'll look at. But part of God's glory is that he's just infinitely and perfectly good. All that you do bad, all that you do wrong, for all of the jerky, self-centered moments that you have had, God is infinitely the opposite of that. He is perfectly morally good, and he has been forever. And then, and then the other side, the side that the shepherds get to see, and that's this, this thing that theologians often call Shekinah glory or the visual glory of God. God is glorious whether you see it or not. That's the reality the Bible shows us and teaches us. But sometimes we see these visual manifestations of his glory that make us go, whoa, God is glorious. And this starts like right around that story of Moses. God shows up and fire on a mountain I mean he sets this mountain on fire and then there's this booming voice that goes out to the people that's glorious and then later as those same people traveled around in the desert God would show up in this tent called the tabernacle that was meant to be a house for God's glory for God's presence and Moses would would go into part of the tent and and he'd come out and his face would glow because the presence of God the glory of God was so strong in that place and then the Israelites settled in their own land and, and they built this temple which was a permanent structure for God's presence. And, and there the presence, at the opening, the presence of God was so thick that it just filled the place with the cloud and the priests couldn't even do their work. This is the glory of God revealed to us. And then, and we're going to talk about this next week, Jesus shows up and he is the, the perfect example of God's glory on earth. And, and so we see this, this overarching theme that's throughout the entirety of the Bible from creation until the end, and we'll talk about that on Christmas Eve, from creation till the end to eternity. We see this, this idea that God is just infinitely better than us in power, in might, in knowledge, in goodness, in love, mercy, all of it. That's what the Bible declares. Matt Chandler does say this to actually quote him, the glory of God is the singular splendor of God and its consequences for humankind. John Piper says that the glory of God is the radiance of his holiness, the radiance of his manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. It's hard to define glory, but it's pretty clear that God is glorious. And so the first thing, I mean, if I think if we're gonna if we're gonna make the Christmas story glorious again, is that you just have to go, God is glorious. And at the birth of his son, he chose that moment to say, Look, I'm going to peel back the heavens and I'm going to reveal my glory to people, even people who don't seem to fit in in society. God is glorious. There is no changing that. There is no taking away from that. We can do nothing to affect how glorious God is. God is glorious and God does reveal that glory 
to people. It's so interesting because one of the reasons even that Jesus needed to come is because God is glorious and we are not. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, another extremely famous passage of Scripture, we read this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In churches, we're we're quick to remind people that the reason that they needed Jesus, the reason they should accept the gift that Jesus offered when he died on a cross and then got out of the grave, the reason they should accept that is because they are sinners. But we are very quick to also forget that the reason it's a big deal we're sinners is because God is not, in fact, he is perfect, he is glorious, and we have fallen short of that glory. We sin, we don't live up to the glorious standard of God. And so Jesus came. John Piper, who's all about the glory of God, and I love that about him. I love John Piper, and I've said this in sermons before, but if you're going to listen to sermons online, I know there's a lot of really cool guys out there. John Piper's not cool at all. You should listen to John Piper instead of all those really cool guys because he's teaching truth. And he's all about the glory of God. John Piper says, The vindication of God's glory is the ground of our salvation. And the exaltation of God's glory is the goal of our salvation. You see, here's the deal. God is glorious. God reveals that glory to us. And we then have the responsibility of expressing that glory. The goal of Jesus coming, think about this, the goal of Jesus coming is in fact the glory of God, that God would be glorified in us. And yet we don't even think about it at Christmas. We read, oh, there's shepherds, and then the glory of God shone, and we're moving on to the next part. And we just, we just need to understand whether you're like a God person or not or you're a Christian or not you need to you need to grasp what the scriptures teach what the Bible says and that is that God is is infinitely greater than we are God is perfectly glorious God is a God of glory and when his son was born he revealed that glory to people And it's so powerful. And God is so different that the shepherds were scared. They were terrified. To use the NIV translation, they were terrified at the sight of God's glory. And this is a very normal response throughout the entirety of Scripture to God's glory, to be scared. In Exodus 33, when, when God says, hey, I, I, will, I will show you my goodness, I'll proclaim my name to you. And he says, and then I'll pass by you. He actually veils Moses with a cloud in order that Moses would be protected. That's kind of scary, right? To have like a cloud between you and death. That's, that's not a very good situation. That's, that's scary. This is why I won't bungee jump. Because I don't want a little cord being between me and death. That's not how I want to spend an afternoon. Thinking I hope it doesn't snap. And that's the response to glory. God covers his glory just enough that people can live throughout the Bible. But people are scared. Because it's so 
powerful. But the angels say this incredible thing. And if, I mean, it's just, if this, we should just pay attention. This is so exciting. This is so good. They say, hey, don't be scared. One angel says, don't be scared. I bring you good news. Let's just, let's just contemplate that for a second. Just the idea of the birth of Jesus being good news because, because that can be forgotten almost uh, amongst the, the busyness and the holidays. And I know some of you are like, we're doing Christmas songs at church already? You thought that this morning. Like, seriously? Come on. Like, and, and it's just bad news and the, your family's coming over and, and the holidays bring out uh, the hurts of the past in, in ways that no other time of year can do. And, I mean, we can, just, we can just list all of these reasons that the holidays, Christmas, kind of feels like bad news, right? I mean, you wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say, like, oh, I think Christmas is bad news because then we'd call you a Scrooge and there's a whole movie made about people like you. You know what I mean? Like, nobody wants that label. But, but like, you feel that way, right? You feel it sometimes, like it's bad news. And the angels say... Even in the midst of all of it, right? And, and the, it's not a perfect story as far as like everything goes right. I mean, and let's remember that Mary and Joseph are, are, are in, an, in a place with animals because they couldn't find a room and they've had to go back to their homeland and traveled while she was pregnant. And I mean, like, the whole thing is kind of a mess and, and, and the shepherds will go and they'll meet Jesus in just a second and then they'll go back to being shepherds, you know? I mean, life isn't going to be perfect, but the angels offer this beautiful, glorious reminder that Christmas, when you strip it all away, is first and foremost good news. In fact, it's great news because they add on to that they say it's good news of great joy that's a little redundant right but they really want the shepherds to understand this is this is important this is good this is exciting don't be scared don't be worried don't be stressed out don't be depressed because the holidays are upon you remember that this is good news this is good news this good news is is of great magnitude as far as joy is concerned. And in part because it's, it's, for, it's for all people. It's for all people. And, and I know we live in a society now where, where we really want to, uh, I mean, people want to get rid of Christmas and, and happy holidays. And man, I feel like the Apostle Paul just facing persecution every time I say Merry Christmas to somebody now. I feel like I've walked into a city where they're going to stone me. Merry Christmas. You know, like I'm a big deal, you know, like, yeah, look what I did for you today, Jesus, you know, I mean, awesome. And we live in this society where, where you know, a, a small minority of people really get angry about Christmas and they're loud. That's pretty much what I'm saying because nobody gets mad when I say Merry Christmas. Everybody actually looks pretty happy about it. I was kidding and all that other stuff. But, but there's a few people who are mad that we say Merry Christmas. And what we need to understand is that whether people believe this Jesus story or not, what, what the Christian scriptures say, what the angels declared to the shepherds, is that this good news, whether people like it, whether people embrace it, whether people know about it or not, it's good news for everybody, for all people. It's good news for everybody. I, I've seen this. I've seen this. I, I've told you about my buddy Jake who I went to high school with and uh, 
And I got along with Jake in high school, but I don't know why, but if you would have just, if you would have said like, name some people who will never become Christians, I probably shouldn't have that list. But somewhere in the deep, dark part of my mind, that list would flow out of me if I'm being honest with you. And Jake, within the last couple of years, has become a Christian. And it's this reminder that it's, it's like, this is good news for everybody that Jesus came to earth. And I want you to understand as you go through this Christmas, there's naysayers out there and, and, and you're religious and, and maybe they're not or, or maybe you're not and you're like, that, that story's not for me. I, I just want you all to hear that this story is for everybody. We should not be ashamed of it. We should not pretend it doesn't exist. We should not hide it because it's a story that is of great joy for all people, even people who don't necessarily believe it. And so, right, I mean, just picture the scene. God's glory is filling the skies. The shepherds are scared, and the angel says, hey, don't be. This is incredible, incredible news. And then in Luke 2.11, they explain why, and it's, it's so awesome. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. And lying in a manger. They say, hey, the, the reason it's good news is because this baby who's been born, this, the reason God's glory shown up is because there's a baby, and the baby is, is the Savior. And I really don't think that these shepherds could have fully grasped what that meant, but we can, right? I mean, Jesus came to earth, and he came here in order that he might die a terrible death on a cross, and then rise again so that you who didn't live up to the standard of God's glory because of your sin, and that's all of us, because of that, he would die and rise again so that you could have forgiveness from all of that. That's really good news. That's uh, incredible news. And he's the Messiah, and I don't think that we can grasp the importance of this idea of Jesus being the Messiah or the Christ like the shepherds probably could have because they were Jewish people who were looking forward to the Messiah, but this was a promised one who would sit on the line of David, who would make things right for the Israelite people, and who would reign forevermore. I mean, just picture that, right? Like, just that idea, just like, wow, the one who will be king forever has now been born, that's a big, big deal. And, and he's Lord. And again, I don't think the shepherds could have understood fully what this means, but, but we understand that this means that God had come to earth in the person of Jesus. This is huge. God had come to earth. And we're gonna talk about that more next week, but that's incredible. So it's like, it's good news. And why is it good news? Because this baby who has been born is the Savior, Messiah, Lord. And oh, by the way, you'll find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. I mean, that's a weird thing just in and of itself, but I just want you to stop and consider all that we've said about the glory of God and now consider Jesus laying in a feeding trough, wrapped in cloths and surrounded by animals. That's crazy. It's like gloriously humble or something to that effect and, and then this and this is this is at the heart of what i want to get at today um, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising god and saying glory to god in the highest heaven and on earth 
peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's the deal. Throughout scripture, when when there's a revelation of God's glory, there's always a response. It might not always be the right response, but it's always a response. When there's a... Uh, God's glory is revealed, there is a response. When there's a revelation, it should lead to response. And, and, and really, I just want to say it this way, experiencing God's glory should lead to an expression of that glory. That's what we see in the angels, right? Here's God's glory. And we would assume that these angelic beings have access to God's glory in a way that, that you and I don't, for sure, that the shepherds didn't, for sure. But upon seeing this revealed glory... This experienced glory on earth. Their response was to express God's glory. John MacArthur says, Now we are to give him glory, not in the sense that we add to his nature, but in the sense that we give testimony to his glory. About 500 years ago, there was a major split in the, in the church. And that's why we have Protestants and Catholics now. It was called the Reformation. And... And out of the Reformation came uh, kind of these, these standards that, that people, uh, that, that Protestants would, would have at the forefront of their minds, like uh, sola scriptura, which means that we're going to trust scripture uh, alone, scripture at least above tradition. And, uh, and one of them, this is the forgotten one. Um, and, and, and the, I mean, this is like the rest of them. If you ever uh, meet somebody who's super excited about the Reformation, they're going to talk about Sola Scriptura. Uh, they're going to talk about some others. But, but there's this other one, Soli Deo Gloria. And it means glory to God alone. It's all about God's glory. It's all about God's glory. That's why we exist. That's why people exist is for the glory of God. And when we experience the glory of God, the only right response is to express the glory of God. There's no other right response. And in Christmas, we get to every year, not in the way the shepherds did, but in some way, re-experience the glory of God. We get to turn our focus onto this incredible event that took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born and the heavens opened up and the shepherds saw the shining light of God's glory and the angels sang and the Savior Messiah Lord was born and laid in a manger. We get to experience God's glory in some way every single Christmas. And, And our responses are all over the board. But the only good response is to express it ourselves the word glory this is a quote is related to God in the Old Testament bears with it the idea of greatness of splendor in the New Testament the word translated glory means to means dignity honor praise and worship putting the two together we find that glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised honored and worshiped the greatness splendor dignity honor and worship are to, of, of God are displayed to the shepherds and in the birth of Jesus and it is simply our job as God reveals that glory to us to respond to that glory by expressing his glory. And this is exactly what the shepherds did in Luke 2.20. They had gone, they had seen Jesus, they had worshipped Jesus, and then they leave, and this is what we read in Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They praise and glorify God. God is glorious. He reveals his glory and we respond to his glory. That's the story of scripture. That's the story of scripture. God is glorious. He reveals his glory and we respond to his glory. We see it in creation. We see it in the cross. We see it in eternity. We see it in the birth of Jesus. God is glorious. He reveals his glory and we respond to his glory. And the only question becomes for us Every day, but especially during the Christmas season, are we going to respond correctly by expressing that glory? And so this Christmas, this is is just it. This is the point. This is the point of it. I want you to remember that God is glorious and he's revealed that glory to us in the coming of his son, Jesus, in the birth of Jesus, in the Christmas story. And I want you to respond to it in the right way. I want you to think this Christmas That the proper response is to do your best in your actions, in your words, in your thoughts, even in your feelings, to express the glory of God because he is glorious. I just I just don't I just don't think it's right, frankly, for us to go, wow, look at how God revealed his glory in the coming of Jesus. I should buy some presents. Isn't that a weird, like it's so, and you can buy presents. You can buy me a present. That's fine. We're, that's totally cool. We're good with that. I mean, you can go sit on Santa's lap and ask for presents for all I care. But if the driving force behind your Christmas season is anything other than expressing God's glory, then you are responding to God's glory incorrectly. And so this Christmas as you remember that God revealed his glory to us in the coming of Jesus. This Christmas, as you experience the glory of God in the Christmas story, please, 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 make this Christmas about expressing God's glory. Let me pray that that'll happen. Lord, I'm I'm just as bad as, as everybody else, Lord, but... I pray this Christmas we wouldn't be. I pray that that we would not let tradition or food or song or presence or even family. Uh, I pray that we would let nothing other than your glory define our Christmas experience this year, God. Lord, I pray that, that the people in our church that Christians who would listen online, that God, this, this Christmas, they would, they would express your glory and, and they'd do it in their prayers and they'd do it in, in how they talk to other people and they'd do it in what they think about God and they'd do it in their attitude. And I just pray that, that this Christmas, that, that your sons and daughters, God, all over this world would express your glory because you are glorious and you revealed to it you revealed it to us in Christmas. And God, I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, who, who don't understand you as Savior and Lord, God. I just pray, I just pray that they would give their lives to you, God. And that they would come to experience your glory in a new way, God. A way that offers them forgiveness and peace and love and hope and joy, God. 
Lord, I, 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 I know that, that Christmas can be hard. Uh, I understand that personally. I understand that through the experiences of people in our church. But I pray, God, that the, that the difficulties of Christmas or, or even just the routine of Christmas would not stand in the way of us expressing your glory, God, because you deserve it. Thank you for coming to earth, Lord. It's awesome. I pray these things in your name. Amen.